First, a caveat. In order for a pastor to preach a challenging homily, he needs credibility in his community. He needs to have built up enough trust and respect among the people of his parish that they are still willing to listen to him when he says difficult things. Now, I don't think I have the credibility to preach this homily, but I'm going to anyway, because I think it's important. In doing so, I know that I am continuing to draw from the patience and long-suffering charity of our community. Thank you once again for enduring a fresh and overzealous young priest. Today is the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, a day on which we remind ourselves of the powerful truths conveyed to us in the reading from Colossians. For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he himself might be preeminent. Jesus is the king of the church, the king of the universe, the king of everything. So it is arresting and astounding that the image of Jesus given to us by the church today is the image of Jesus hanging on the cross. The cross was reserved for the worst criminals, the lowest of the low. Not only were these criminals condemned to death, they were condemned to a slow and painful death in the public square where they could be seen and mocked by all who passed by. They were stripped naked in a show of utter powerlessness and a complete denial of human dignity. The sign on Jesus' cross refers to him as a king only in the profoundest of ironies. And yet, Christian theologians have long referred to the cross as the throne from which Jesus reigns as king. The power of Jesus is precisely in his self-sacrifice. It is because Jesus abandoned himself completely, going all the way to the cross, that he has been given power over all creation. Jesus is king of the universe because true and lasting power comes from self-sacrifice. And his sacrifice was the greatest sacrifice of all time. This, my friends, is the core moral teaching of Christianity, that true love consists in forgetting ourselves and focusing on the other, that true power comes from giving power away. This demand of utter selflessness is what makes, and has always made, Christianity a true counterculture and a threat to the dominant society of every era.
Now, contrast this to our current political climate. With the exception of municipal politicians, who are still generally principled examples of faithful public servants, our national politics and politicians have become obsessed with power. Every news clip, every policy statement has become about shaping public perception, setting up for the next election, and getting that elusive 51% majority so that the other 49% of society can be steamrolled and ignored. There is no desire for consensus or compromise or the common good, because everything is power and the desire for more power. As the ancient Greek philosophers predicted, when democracy loses its civic-mindedness, which is to say, when democracy loses its care for and focus on the neighbor, it devolves into mob rule. And contemporary American democracy is not far from this point. But whether we realize it or not, our politics are almost always a symptom, not a cause. They are merely a reflection of the underlying society. And what has broken down in American society is that we have lost our focus on Jesus Christ. When we lose the cross, when we lose that powerful image of a king who chose to die in humiliation for the sake of his people, why wouldn't we focus on political self-image and keeping power at all costs? When we forget the Jesus who shed his blood for Jews and Gentiles alike, why wouldn't we fight unconditionally for our own tribe at the expense of everyone else? When we no longer believe that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, what is there to stop us from believing that our own accumulation of power is the best thing possible for ourselves and for the world? Friedrich Nietzsche was absolutely correct in his historical analysis of morality. Most of the world and most of history is defined by a master morality, where the strong and the rich are the good and the celebrated, while the weak are pitied and despised. Only in Judaism and Christianity is a slave morality dominant, where the meek, the powerless, the humble, and the outcast are celebrated, protected, and valorized, while the strong are told to exercise control. Nietzsche, of course, believed that the slave morality was a perversion and should be done away with, and that the strong should be allowed to be strong, and the willful allowed to be willful. I am sorry that our society took that recommendation as an encouragement rather than a warning. I am sorry that the so-called perversion of Christian morality has already been so thoroughly eradicated. My friends, it is for this reason that I am so sad, so disappointed every time I see an indication that a Christian or a Catholic has chosen their politics over their religion. You see, 
If we follow Jesus Christ first and foremost, our politics will take care of themselves, and our society will automatically become just. But if we follow our politics first, there is no guarantee that our democracy will not devolve into vicious power plays and mob rule. If we follow our politics first and do not base them on Jesus Christ, even our quest for justice is doomed to perpetuate injustice. Unfortunately, we have every indication that the great majority of Americans now choose their politics over their religion. In national poll after national poll, knowing that someone is Catholic tells us almost nothing about their political positions. But knowing that someone is a Democrat or a Republican lets us guess almost everything that they believe. This politics-first mentality is less prevalent among Catholics who attend Mass weekly, which is to say, you. But I am still going to take us through a political examination of conscience, just to see where we personally fall in all of this. Imagine a ledger with two columns. One column is titled, The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. The other column has the name of our preferred political party. Under each column, I want each of us to list all of the ways in which we disagree with the political positions of either organization, all of the ways we disagree with the U.S. bishops, and all of the ways we disagree with our preferred political party. We'll start with the Republicans. The U.S. bishops oppose the death penalty in the United States. They believe that climate change is real and needs focused attention. They believe that everyone has a right to basic health care. They believe that our country still has a serious problem with racism. And they strongly believe that our immigration system is unjust and needs reformed, including a way to care for the many undocumented people already here. In all of these things, are we more likely to side with the U.S. bishops or the Republican Party? Now, the Democrats. The U.S. bishops believe that abortion should be outlawed in every case. They believe that marriage should be reserved to a man and a woman. They believe that biological sex is an essential, unchangeable aspect of a person. They support conscience protections for anyone who does not wish to participate in abortion, contraception, or a same-sex marriage. And they oppose the use of tax dollars to fund abortion or contraception at home and overseas. In all of these things, are we more likely to side with the U.S. bishops or the Democratic Party? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Politics is important. Participating in society and structuring it justly is a moral obligation of the Christian faith. And that obligation cannot be carried out without engagement in politics. Politics is also complicated. I have been deeply involved in serious debates about every topic I just mentioned, and I know how people of goodwill can come to different conclusions on all sorts of political issues. 
The point of that exercise was not to say that we cannot have doubts or struggles with the teachings of the Church. I know many of us do. The point was to ask, on the whole, when the two come into conflict, do we generally favor our faith or our politics? When we are forced to make a choice, do we find it easier to ignore our bishops or our party leaders? If we have more disagreements with our bishops than our politicians, we really need to ask ourselves why that is and what it means about our priorities. As flawed as they may be in many ways, I hope we never get comfortable ignoring our bishops. When all of the bishops of the country or the state speak with a unified voice, I hope we pay attention, even and especially when it challenges our political beliefs. I hope we will give them the benefit of the doubt and investigate their reasonings and their positions, because these positions are always at least an attempt to carry out the selfless love of Jesus Christ in society. After all, we are Catholic first, and everything else second, because we follow Jesus first and everything else second. When we are looking for a king, when we are looking for someone to follow in all things temporal and spiritual, I hope that we will always look first to Jesus, because he is the only king who sacrificed himself for us on a cross.